Hi, and welcome back to Game Time Podcast with your hosts, I'm Alex Rubinson. And I'm Shai Dweck. We have so much to talk about on this pre-free agency <clears throat> edition. So Shai, let's get right into it because it's Game Time. So Shai, we kind of, we always scheduled up a podcast right before free agency. And the initial plan was talk about maybe the players who were franchise tagged, cover other key free agents. And if there was a trade or two, we'd cover that. Little did we know we would have really a full slate of schedule of trades and extensions even before bringing up franchise tags and other key free agents. Yeah, I mean, I think this might be the biggest kind of pre-free agency period, you know, we've had in a while with all these trades, extensions. So I guess more stuff for us to talk about, more, you know, make this an exciting podcast. I'm you know, excited to get into it. A lot of moving parts, a lot of, you know, key players picking up big deals. So let's talk about kind of the, the blockbuster trade that kind of kicked off this frenzy and flurry of moves. And that was Russell Wilson, the nine-time Pro Bowler, former Super Bowl champion of the Seattle Seahawks, you kind of think one of the best players in Seahawks history, a franchise icon for that organization, gets traded to the Denver Broncos in a move that really didn't, really wasn't gaining steam. It felt like at the beginning of the offseason, it was a real possibility. And as we moved further you know, towards the combine and then towards kind of the week it happened, it really felt like it was losing steam. And then all of a sudden, you know, Rodgers officially goes back to Green Bay. Russell Wilson becomes the best quarterback uh, that's possible. In the same day, Alex. In the same, right. Well, I think, and that to me shows that uh, Denver was ready to, Denver had Rodgers as their number one choice, but they knew where Rodgers was leaning, and they were kind of saying, once this becomes official, we'll we'll pull the trigger. Yeah. I I think uh, Denver said, you know, they're in a in an AFC West that's really stacked, very competitive, especially at the quarterback position. Especially at the quarterback position, I'm I'm trying to think when was there a division that really had four top twelve quarterbacks? I think every quarterback in that division is a top twelve quarterback. Yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, this, I mean, the Broncos competed in that division last year with Teddy Bridgewater. Who I think is solid, but certainly you know doesn't give you the same explosion. He doesn't have the same you know game changing ability. You, Russell you're not going to win because of Teddy Bridgewater. You can win with him, but in a division that has Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Derek Carr, you can't really rely on Teddy Bridgewater to get you to that tenth, eleventh win. So you're right. So here's my question for you, Alex. This team won, was it seven games? It was in that range, I believe. Yeah, seven, eight games. Seven games, yeah. With Teddy Bridgewater, obviously doing stuff, you know, to win on the defensive side of the ball, offensive line and running game, both very good, no question about that. Is Russell Wilson putting them over the edge, you know, to get into the playoffs, to win playoff games, or even in, this, in, even in their own division? I'm not putting them as the favorite to win their division. But I do think this team with Russell Wilson 
is good enough to make the playoffs, right? You now have three. Sure. You have three wild card teams in each conference. To say that, especially because whether it's the Chiefs or Chargers or you know whomever, one of those AFC West teams won't you know is going to win the division and can kind of take themselves out of the wild card spot. And even if that, even if one of the other AFC West teams make it, first off, I think Denver, at least right now, is better than the Raiders, and I think they're close to the Chargers. It depends on, I think talent wise, I'd put the Chargers ahead of Denver, but the Chargers mm-hmm. are way better than a nine and eight team, and well, they finished nine and eight mm-hmm. last year. So, for me, with the Chargers, and they made some splash moves themselves. So we'll get to them later in the episode. It's can, if the Chargers live up to expectations, I think they'll be the second team in this division. But if they you know are continue to blow late leads, aren't playing you know are playing inconsistent football, I think that's something you can rely on the on Russell Wilson, especially in the team he's in and the situation he's in. I think Russell Wilson, you're gonna know what you're you you know what you're getting, and I think this Sorry. is a Broncos team that I don't know. I'm not saying they'll win eleven, twelve games. But I have a hard time seeing a Russell Wilson, when healthy, led team completely underachieve. I know it kind of happened last year with Seattle, but I think Denver, from a defensive perspective and an all-around roster construction perspective, is probably better built from the ground up than Seattle was. Oh, absolutely. If if you look at this, you know, Denver team, you know, we say, oh, there are holes here, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball. You know, who's, you know, that other edge guy? You know, who where, who they have that glue at inside linebacker? You know. Not you every have, team's perfect, though. Exactly. You know, you have some holes in the secondary as well. And you kind of think, and that, and that can make, you know, from someone like me who likes to study these rosters on paper, that's immediately what I look to. But then you just mentioned it. What was Russell Wilson working with when he consistently led his team to multiple playoff runs in Seattle, especially recently, really just a bag of chips. Not much. You, ha- you had a great coach in Pete Carroll. Let's not discount that. And obviously, you know, we don't know, you know, what Nathaniel Hackett is. We don't know what Nathaniel Hackett is, and I know it's only been a year, but so far I've been very impressed with George Payton, their new general manager. I really feel like he has an understanding of the right ways to construct a roster you know he might go. He might go do like a splurge on a free agent or two this off season. Now that he has had Russell Wilson, but it really doesn't seem like he's the type of GM to spend stupid money on an on a declining player. No, absolutely. I I really I think it's going to be really fun to watch this offense operate. You have I think an offensive scheme that can kind of replicate. But Russell Wilson, you know, was used to in Seattle with that run game. Javante Williams will be there. And I think, you know, I see Javante Williams. I think he plays similar to a guy named like Chris Carson, except behind a better offensive line. That, and that's what I was going to say. I think we we can talk about DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and how maybe those guys aren't coming with Wilson to Seattle. But Denver's offensive line is just better overall. Oh, I mean, Russell Wilson's playing behind a much better offensive line. And Wilson, who is getting older, you know, when let's not shy away from that fact, he won't have to be running, you know, for his life as much. And he won't take some of those sacks, which, again, a player who's declining, it's obviously better for. And you know, we saw he missed serious time in an injury last year. 
le- there's less of a chance of injury when you're playing behind a, a much improved offensive line, and that's what Wilson is going from Seattle to Denver with. I also wanted to bring up a point that I almost want to compare the situation to Tom Brady coming to the Buccaneers in this sense. Remember, as great as Brady was and as great as his weapons were and that offensive line was one of the best in in the NFL, it took a while. It took probably about half a season, eight-plus games, before the offense really got rolling. And then, obviously, they got rolling in, like, the final four games and they hit the ground running in the postseason. I could see something like that where maybe they don't come out of the gates on fire Right away, just because it is a new situation. They have to get on the same page, Jerry, Judy, Cortland Sutton with Russell Wilson. But I could see when we kind of get to December football, you know, late November football, and potentially even postseason football, I could see this team kind of gaining steam and gaining momentum as they play their more important games late in the season. I think that's fair, but I would try to, you know... If Nathaniel Hackett is able to kind of replicate a scheme that I think Denver already was kind of playing a little bit last season, where it's a run-first team that, you know, is ready to uncork it, um, you know, in the play-action game. And I, you, I also now think you last year they had to be a run-first team. Right. Like they and couldn't really stretch the Seattle, field like they can now. I think Seattle was also a little bit of a run-first team. I think that was still what they wanted their identity to be. And I think the way this roster is constructed is very is is suits the play style of Russell Wilson. We look at, you know, that transition of Tom Brady from, you know, a little bit of a short passing spread offense that Josh McDaniels is running in New England to a you know, a really vertical attack, a risk it for the biscuit approach where you have Tom Brady dropping back, you know, taking deep shots down the field you know, very consistently in Bruce Arians' um, scheme, I think it's not all that comparable uh, to compare those two offenses. But I do think, yeah, obviously there will be some, you know, getting used to it. And, you know, additionally, there is that new aspect of can Hackett and Wilson work together? And we'll see. And I think that transition that Brady kind of went through between McDaniels' offense late in Brady's New England tenure and then what he went with Bruce Arians in Tampa. I think that's kind of what we're going to see, not with Russell Wilson, but with this Broncos offense. Because one of the main flaws of Bridgewater's game is he's not the best deep ball passer. It's kind of get the ball out of his hands quick. Not the uh, He has some mobility, but ever since he had that gruesome injury, he's not as great as at extending plays. Russell Wilson's one of the best deep ball passers in the NFL. And I think... Opening up, you know, if you can still run the ball at, you know, a pretty effective level, kind of like what they were able to do last year, you have guys like Cortland Sutton, who is now going to be another year removed from his ACL injury. So hopefully he'll be healthier. You have Jerry Judy now playing with a more experienced quarterback. And I think we saw the going to another quarterback coming into a new scene that really helped the receiver. Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. And again, I'm not saying... Judy will turn into that to what Cup did this past season. But Cooper Cup was always a really good, you know, a really solid receiver, good receiver, you know, good slot guy, knew how to get open, very good at route running. 
And then obviously, and then you you upgrade at quarterback like the Rams did from Goff to Stafford, and Cup takes off. I could see maybe not that big of a jump, but a similar style type of jump with Jerry Judy, who I think from a traits perspective actually possesses some of those same traits. And now you're getting a a better talent at quarterback, but also a smarter quarterback like Russell Wilson. I think that's going to pay huge dividends for, for Judy, and maybe he starts looking like the receiver he was coming out of Alabama that made him, you know, that high first round pick. I think that's fair. I think I agree with everything you said. And absolutely, Russell Wilson's going to give them more flexibility with both mobility and, you know, being able to take shots down the field. And just a completely new element introduced to this offense. Absolutely. I was just saying the schemes will be, hopefully, for Russell Wilson's sake, similar and make it an easier transition. And a guy that you didn't mention who I just feel was really great last season was Tim Patrick for them. Probably, you know, could have been the be- arguably the best receiver on that team right. last year. And they brought him back to, you know, a new extension, new deal. So he, they obviously saw the same thing and said, you know, this is uh, maybe not a number one guy, but this is definitely a guy that can kind of contribute. And almost when you're building a, a wide receiver room, you almost want to build like a basketball team and have like different types of skill sets. They kind of think like Tim Patrick can be part of that. So let's talk about the compensation a little bit. Did we even yeah. uh, get to that? There, there was, this was a trade and not a straight-up signing. So right. that it, there was another side to this. I thought it was a pretty good deal for Denver because I think coming in to any Russell Wilson trade, I thought it had to be at least two first-round picks. Yeah, I, I, I think that was certainly on the table. And part of me was surprised we didn't see, you know, three first-round picks, you know, or even, you know, some conditional ones. Uh, in this trade as well. So yeah, I thought any deal with Russell Wilson had to start with at least two first-rounders. So then you look at the other parts of the trade. Two seconds, that's definitely nothing to laugh at. That's that's still a serious compensation, but I think for a guy of Russell Wilson's caliber, when you're trying to compete with Patrick Mahomes, you're trying to compete with Justin Herbert, giving up two seconds, you're not going to find... I, mean, I know Russell Wilson was a third-round pick himself, but chances are you're not going to find someone of Russell Wilson's talent you know, in those rounds. And then you get to the players. And I know there's another fifth-round pick mixed in, but you get to the players. I just wasn't really impressed by the players that went back in this deal. Drew Locke is a, a solid bridge quarterback. You know, Maybe with DK Metcalf and Tower Lockett and a new scenery, he can unlock some of that potential that he had coming out of college. Shelby, Mil- uh, Shelby Harris is, I believe, 30, 30 years old now, and he'll be, I think, 31 by the time the season starts. Plus, he just doesn't play a very valuable position. And if you're Seattle, I want young, controllable players who play valuable positions. And then you go to Noah Fant, who he I, he's had his moments, but it really feel like he hasn't displayed consistency and really proved why he did go in the first round. A few years back, I just wasn't very impressed by some of the players they got back in the in return. I thought when you're trading a Russell Wilson caliber player at that position in today's NFL, I thought they should have been all in to try to get a Bradley Chubb, a Patrick Sertan, a Jerry Judy. And I know that's easier said than done. And maybe Denver said, N- you know, no way. But I, I just thought that they could have potentially... Two first, two seconds, it's a great starting point. And you, maybe you don't need much after that. 
but I thought that they I thought they could have done a little bit on the player front. I would have liked to see young, controllable, ascending players at premium positions. Even if it was just one one guy. Maybe instead of getting those three, you get like Judy or Chubb or Sertan. And it's just one instead of the other three. But I was a little disappointed. I thought Seattle could have maximized some of the players that they got back in this trade. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I, I don't think two firsts and two seconds is anything to scoff at. It's definitely not, but I thought almost any deal for Russell, especially with Aaron Rodgers off the market and the Seahawks not feeling the need to trade him, which they obviously didn't need to trade him, I thought they could have used their leverage better to potentially sneak out a better player in that package. Again, two first, two seconds, not, nothing to laugh at, nothing to scoff at. Mm. I just thought, like, I thought they could have done a little bit better on the player front because I thought two first and two seconds, I don't want to say that was a foregone conclusion, but I definitely thought almost any trade would have to start with that. And if not, then you're really getting like a star player or two if you're not getting that type of package. Yeah, I think I tend to agree with you on all fronts here. I think Seattle uh, may have been, should have been more patient almost with this deal. Let it kind of soak in that, you know, Denver or whoever other teams that were trying to get um, Aaron Rodgers that's not really on the table for you. And right now, although it may seem like you have a leverage because maybe Wilson may or may not want out, we actually have it um, because we have the premium quarterback on the market. Now, I just want to say the one one way they don't have leverage is Russell Wilson did have a no-trade clause. So Russell Wilson could kind of dictate where he wanted to go. We heard a lot of rumors and rumblings that possibly Washington – may have offered even a better package, but reportedly he may have you know used his no-trade clause and didn't want to go to Washington. Can't blame him. <laughs> that, yeah, that's a whole other story, and we'll get to Washington in a bit because they made their own QB sure. acquisition. But Russell, I do say, I do want to point out, Russell Wilson did have some leverage into where he wanted to go. At the same time, I would have thought... That, that doesn't mean Seattle doesn't have any leverage. Now, I have a question for you. If Indianapolis came, they don't have a first-round pick this year, but if they maybe gave the same package of picks starting in 2023 and 2024, and I'm, I'm trying to think on the player front, but maybe gave you a better player package, would you have done that? Even, mm. even if the picks don't start from a year, a year from now instead of this year? Well, let me think about potential players that would be on the table. I think... I, I don't see the Colts as a particularly young team. I don't necessarily think they have as many young ascending players. And I think, frankly, they're going to have to give up one of their big-name guys in that trade, whether that's Darius Leonard, whether that's DeForest Buckner. Um, you know, Quinn and Nelson's probably off the table. I, I would think so. Um, but probably, you know... Maybe uh, Michael Pittman, Michael Pittman, perhaps an, an offensive lineman, um, any off any of their starting offensive linemen, perhaps <laughs> just I think one or maybe some sort of mix and matching uh, of those players, I think would appeal to me more. You, you've got to, you know, find a way to build up that offensive line. So maybe you get a tackle uh, Their Their starting right tackles. Very, very solid name slipping my mind at this moment. 
Well, oh, you're talking about you, Indianapolis. Braden Smith. Braden Smith. Yeah. Um, maybe you take him and Pittman in that same compensation, and maybe I honestly would find that more appealing um, than the compensation that Denver gave. And I'll say, and I agree with you, and I'll say this. This year's quarterback class is not very good. Yeah. And I feel like that's putting it lightly. But not only is this quarterback class not very good, this overall draft class at the top is really lacking. They don't, this, this draft class does not have top-end talent. It's all about depth. So I almost want to replenish in 2023, and I know 2024 is really looking far down the line, but replenishing future drafts instead of this year's draft might actually work out, might actually would have worked out to Seattle's benefit. I know you don't want to look too far down the road, and there's so much uncertainty. Well, here's the issue with that, because the Colts with Russell Wilson are going to compete and make the playoffs, and, and probably win some playoff games. At the same time, I think Denver's a playoff team. Maybe not winning the division, which the Colts, I think, if they had traded for Russell Wilson, I think would be, in, at least in my mind, the heavy favorites in that division. Right. But... I still think, uh, or Denver, I still think Denver would, is going to make the playoffs with Russell Wilson, and it has definitely the potential to win a playoff game or two. Right, I when, think that's right. When you I, have a Russell Wilson caliber talent on your team, anything can happen come playoff time. I think that's right, but I think the Colts, just showing what they've done, and, you know, show, really kind of, I think they've shown more that they're a quarterback away than Denver has. Denver. And I, I agree, I would agree with that. Um, but yeah, I think that's an interesting debate, and the Colts obviously will have to work out their own situation soon, and we'll get to why that is soon enough as well. Do you want to quickly, you know, talk about your reaction to, you know, just, there's a reason Russell Wilson was on the move, it's because Aaron Rodgers stayed in Green Bay, taught, you know, we don't know what the terms of the contract are, they're reported- disputed. It was reported. Now it has been disputed, so yes. it also could just be the you know, T's are still being crossed and I's are still being dotted. Uh, but it was reported it was fifty million a year, four years, two hundred million, fifty million a year to make Rogers the highest paid player in the NFL uh, on a per year basis. It didn't surprise me that he stayed in Green Bay. I don't know about you, but. Kind of ever, ever since the season ended, it seemed like this move and decision was gaining more and more traction as the weeks went on. Obviously, I never completely ruled out ruled out him saying I'm out. You never know with Aaron Rodgers, but it really did seem like as the weeks kind of moved, uh, in the in you know towards the free agency and towards March that him going to Green Bay was the best option for all parties involved. And ultimately, this doesn't surprise me. It would have surprised me more if he said, I'm out. Oh, I agree. I would have probably given it around a 60% chance that he would have come back. And some people would say that's even low. At what point? We're talking about end of season. I would say probably a couple weeks after the Super Bowl. I would probably say a week before he decided to stay. All right, so maybe around combine time. Yeah, around combine. Yeah, around combine time. I I was probably more confident than that. Uh, I just had uh, again. I have no inside information. I was um a lot of this was just basically going on what was being reported and almost really a gut feeling. Mm-hmm. But again, once we kind of reached the combine, 
I was at the point where I'm like, okay, I'll be pretty surprised if he's not a Green Bay Packer in 2022. Right, and, you know, we saw the report that came around around that time that the teams that, you know, should, that had had already offered, you know, significant compensation to Green Bay that, you know, Rodgers was okay going to were Tennessee, Pittsburgh, and, of course, Denver. And you kind of look at those teams and, one all AFC, Denver probably best situation, but you're in the AFC West. Pittsburgh, good, good defense, bad offensive line. Tennessee, I, I don't know what's AJ Brown. AJ Brown question mark. I mean, well, AJ Brown is one of the better receivers in the NFL. Plus, I do think, uh, I mean, Tennessee was the number one seed in the AFC, and now you're upgrading at quarterback. So I'm I not, guess I'm just really I'm low not on that, the Titans, if you remember from our playoff podcast. Right. <laughs> I, I, picked the, I picked the Bengals, too, in that game. So That's true. I, I mean, I'm not super high on Tennessee either, but I think if they had acquired Aaron Rodgers, I think they're the heavy favorites in their division. Sure. And even with the call, too, I love, and I love Chris Bally, their GM. I, I think Tennessee, if they were to acquire Rodgers, would be the heavy favorites in the division and would... I'm not saying they'd win the Super Bowl or win the AFC, but I think they would have a better chance of competing against some of the other teams with, you know, like the Chiefs and Mahomes, Allen and the Bills, because they now have that superstar quarterback as well. But, again, I I always thought, not always, but especially around the combine, I really was in mo- in the mode of, okay, I strongly think Rodgers is staying. And I think Denver got that same sense as well, and probably around the combine is when they were negotiating the Russell Wilson deal and said, okay, now we had kind of a deal in place. Let's wait to see Rodgers' official final decision. And then once that officially came out, they said, they basically said, start filing the paperwork. Yeah, I mean, with how fast that uh, that all happened, that it probably was the scenario we're talking about. And I think that kind of shows a little bit of foolhardiness on the sense of Seattle side, really just kind of saying... Oh, yeah, you go wait it out. We'll be right here when you need us. And I think, you know, when you're negotiating a trade like that with a premier quarterback, that's not the right mindset. I also saw that they wanted to to trade him to the AFC, AFC, which I understand. At the same time, when you make a trade like this, it signifies rebuild to me. And then they obviously parted ways with Bobby Wagner. If you're rebuilding, again, who cares? He's in the NFC. I understand not wanting to trade him to in the division. Uh, whether I'm, I'm not saying any of the NFC West teams would have traded for Russell Wilson, but just kind of over an overarching point. I understand not wanting to trade him within your division, but I think if a team within your conference is giving you by far the best deal, and Russell Wilson, who did have a no trade clause, is okay waiving it, I don't. I if I were Seattle, I wouldn't have had a huge problem trading him. You know, within the NFC to a team like Philly, like Washington, if Russell Wilson was okay going there. Yeah, I, I, I think that's absolutely right. I never really understood, you know, why teams that, that you know, were rebuilding want to just kind of push them as far away as possible. Um, I, I could see, you know, if you're trying to be competitive, you don't want to see them in the playoffs, sure. But, you know, even then, if you really feel like you're winning the trade, it's... You know, if you play them once a year or less, shouldn't be 
that big of a, a And problem. I mean, they're actually playing Russell Wilson, or they're going to be playing Russell Wilson this year anyway. So There you go. I think they actually play in Seattle, so it'll be a nice, you know, welcome back moment for Wilson, and I would expect he gets a nice ovation. He should. He Fran- should. Franchise icon, deliver them their first and only Super Bowl. Let's stick in the AFC West. Let's. Because there was another major trade that took place. The Los Angeles Chargers traded for Khalil Mack, giving up a second-round pick and a sixth-round pick. As Mack is not the player he once was, they're going to be paying a heavy price, I believe about $21 million per year. I think there's like three years and $63 million still left on his contract. And then the Chicago is also paying, I think, about $24 million in dead money on Max deal. So that's a whole other issue in terms of financials and the contract. But looking just at the deal itself, you pair Mac with Joey Bosa. I know Robert Quinn had 18 and a half sacks this year, but Mac has never really played alongside a guy like Bosa who's as consistent as he is from a year-in, year-out basis. Yeah, we think about... You know, Von Miller and his impact on that Rams defense. And frankly, I think Mac Playing is, in the same stadium now. Yeah, playing in the same stadium now is probably better than Von Miller at this point in their respective careers. And I think is younger as well. I, I really do like this trade, you know, for the Chargers... Probably my favorite one where I can kind of point to and say, yes, this guy Uh, over at the Los Angeles Chargers. I think you get another guy with Joey Bosa, someone who can really make an impact, a a veteran presence. And, you know, we kind of always say this, rush helps coverage. And they've got a young and experienced secondary. And I think if you're going to be able to get after the quarterback and make that defining characteristic of your defense's identity you know with a young you know defensive minded head coach that's underperformed I think you know that's a good way to help things out um I would love them to go after James Bradbury mm. I think the Giants they need to get rid of Bradbury <laughs> they're they're either going to trade him or potentially cut him if I'm the Chargers whether it's a trade or cut I would love to go after a veteran like Bradbury. He's a veteran, but still really young. Uh, very, it's a big cap hit for the Giants because of how they structure, how they restructure the contract. But I think the acquiring team would pay him about twelve million, which is I feel like very reasonable. Uh, if you're, you know, especially if you're the Chargers, who coming into the off season, I think they had the most cap space in the NFL. At least they did before the Colts unloaded Wentz's contract. So the Chargers, they're in a position to spend, and when you have a quarterback as great and talented as Justin Herbert is on a rookie deal, I mean, obviously it's a rookie deal, which is a big reason why, but Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow drafted in the same year. Those two are probably right now the best contracts from a value standpoint in the NFL, especially considering the position they play. If you're the Chargers, you need to take full advantage of it because in a year or two, you're not going to have that luxury. Yeah, I I think that's right. You need upgrading uh, in that secondary. Asante Samuel is kind of your your golden jewel. Derwin James is there when he's healthy and has been really good when he's healthy. 
But, but you, at this point, you can't rely on him playing a full 17, and for the Chargers, hopefully more than 17-game season. Exactly. I really think that the Chargers are, have done a nice job with this trade. Um, a second-round pick is not, you know... And uh, there's a six in there as well. That's okay when you look at the the upside and just raw talent that a guy like Cleo Mack has. Right. He only played... Uh, people, and I didn't even realize this. I, had a, I looked it up, but... He only played in seven games last year, but he recorded six sacks. So there's almost this narrative that feels like that he's declining, he's not putting, on, putting out the same numbers. And in some cases, that's definitely true. But six sacks in seven games, that's pretty great uh, for any player, even a guy like Khalil Mack. And also, him missing the final ten games of the season and now going to a new team, I feel like gives Mack the opportunity to kind of hit the reset button start from scratch, and possibly return to the guy he was when he fir- when he got traded the last time to Chicago. I I completely agree. Um, this, this Chargers defense has to form an identity, and I think the presence of another veteran edge guy along that defensive front, if you build up that front seven, you make that a priority, I think that's that can really... Um, have an impact. I think their attention for now does go to the secondary. And I think that there are plenty of opportunities to replenish it. I mentioned Bradbury. They still have cap space. If they want to go shop at the top of the market, you have J.C. Jackson. You have Carlton Davis. and you Stephon look, Gilmore. Stephon Gilmore as well. And you look at this draft, it's a really good cornerback draft. Deep. It's deep, but there's also a guy you can get at 17 overall where you're thinking that's not yeah i'm assuming that uh derek stingley and ahmaud gardner won't be there but you look at getting to fall down boards that's true unrelated but (laughs) if you're the Chargers, i don't know if you can assume that but you can potentially get a trent mcduffie and andrew booth maybe those guys are more early 20s but when you're picking at 17 I don't. That's not like. Oh my goodness! How how they really reached for that corner. So it's a deep cornerback class, but there's also talent that you can get in the middle of the first round. That's not a reach. Yeah, I I I, I agree. I think this that there are some advantages to this draft class in terms of its depth at certain positions and cornerbacks. One of them. Yeah. So I think if you're, you know, were competitive last year, and you have a later round pick. It's going to help you. And I, I do want to say, you know, we're really praising the Chargers here. And deservedly so. This was a good trade for them. This seems too talented to go 9-8. and eight. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. I was sky high on the Chargers last year. You know what? I, talked I was all, pretty I, high on them, too. I talked all of season. I was high on you, though. I was... I picked Justin Herbert to win the MVP. I thought this team was going to seriously compete with the Chiefs for the division. I thought this team was going to win about 11 and potentially even as high as 12 games and be the best wildcard team in the AFC. To go 9-8 and eight with the amount of talent that they had, the fact that they're playing, Herb, they're playing Herbert on his rookie deal, they have to do a better job of taking advantage of it. I know Brandon Staley got a lot of credit early in the season, and I'm not saying he should be on the hot seat because I think that's too extreme. There are no excuses to go 9-8 and eight again. You need to win, in my mind, at least 10 games and be a playoff team. Even in that division. I know it's a great division. 
I know it's the best division in football. But you need to make the playoffs. I concur, my friend. I concur. So let's let's talk about the Bears. Because, yeah. again, there was another side to this deal. You gave up two first-round picks for Mac. I think you gave, it, you gave up a slew of mid-round picks as well. Now you're trading him for a second and a six. Right now it's about how can we... We are rebuilding. We need to restock our picks. They don't have a first-round pick this year. They don't have a fourth-round pick this year. They need all the picks they can get. This offseason will be how can we build around Justin Fields and make sure we can put him in the best position to succeed. Because I think Justin Fields showed a lot of... He had some bright spots. Right, he had some spots where you look at and say, "Okay, we can work with that." It just never he never had that consistency, and I think some of that's in you know you need to upgrade the spot he was in Chicago, and you need to build a better offensive line. Allen Robinson had a very uh, below average season this year. Darnell Mooney, I you know I think he has a lot of promise, but I don't want to rely him. I don't want to rely on him at least in twenty twenty two to be my number one guy. Robinson's also a free agent for the Bears. This offseason, it's about how can we build around Justin Fields. Yeah, absolutely. This team is in full rebuild rebuild mode. They have probably, you know, just as, amount, just as many needs as, you know, a lot, a lot of teams, certain teams, you know, like the Texans or maybe even the Seahawks at this point. Maybe have they, they do have... The difference is they do have a quarterback that I think they're 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 high on, they should be high on, and has a lot of potential. We know That's right. Seattle doesn't have their guy. We know Houston probably doesn't have their guy. I think Davis Mills showed signs, but he seems like more of a great backup slash spot starter bridge quarterback. That's right. Justin Fields can be a week in and week out starter that helps your team to the postseason. Yeah. So I think, you know, we, we kind of criticized, you know, sorry, we didn't criticize. We praised the Bears for kind of hiring um, not an offensive-minded head coach. And, you know, Matt Eberflus, we praised them for saying, go with the best guy available. And that was a good decision. But now I feel like, you know, you can kind of take that defense and say, we're rebuilding. Let's, let's make the situation better. Let's build up this offensive line. Let's build up this receiving core. And, you know, we'll know we know we have... Matt Eberflus in our back pocket as a leader, as a defensive mind. But right now, let's get, you know, the guys around Justin Fields. And I think that that's an important distinction from the point we made earlier about having to hire the best coach available, even if it's not necessarily, you know, this... You, want a, good, you want a good leader at head coach, that doesn't mean you should completely neglect the offensive side of the ball. And I think especially... I'm not saying because you hired a great defensive coordinator as... You know, oh, saying, I see what you're saying. Okay. You know, just because you didn't hire an offensive coordinator, we both are completely fine with that and even praise it at times. But that doesn't mean you only focus on defense or that side of the ball. This offseason, as I said, you can't let Justin Fields become kind of that what-if story of what if he was in a better situation. Right. Right? We have those conversations about you know Sam Darnold and... Daniel Jones. You look at David Carr, not Derek Carr, but David Carr in Houston years ago. And you look about as great as he was, Andrew Luck got completely beat up to the point where he had to retire. And I'm not saying it's going to get that bad with Justin Fields, but 
this is the offseason to make sure it's not necessarily about winning. It's about developing. And that all starts with your quarterback. Yeah. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, are we ready to move on to one that's moving from a situation that was pretty good to a situation that's a little bit more shaky than that of Carson Wentz? I actually thought this wasn't a bad trade for Washington. I think I was a little... I'm higher on the trade than most. And I'm not here to say it was an A-plus trade and it's the great trade. I think it was a solid trade, though. And I see so many people saying, you know, ha-ha, you trade for Carson Wentz. I don't see that. You know, I think Carson Wentz possesses upside that you didn't have in Taylor Heineke. It doesn't... Uh, it does. It, it. I think it doesn't limit your options. If you want to take a Malik Willis or someone like that at eleven, you still can. And actually, taking a guy like Malik Willis now, he can sit behind Wentz. Wentz can start play potentially in the full season. And a guy like Willis, who I think has tons and tons of talent but is raw, can sit behind, see what Wentz does well, what he doesn't do well, and kind of learn and take it all in before being thrust into action. So I think this one trade definitely gives them options. And although I think we still have to say Dallas is the favorite in that division, you are upgrading from Taylor Heineke. Yeah, you're upgrading from Taylor Heineke. But, you know, as I was kind of alluding to, you're I mean, taking a... You didn't give up a first. It's not like you gave up a first or anything. You gave up two-thirds, one, can be, one of which can become a second. Next year. And then a second-round pick swap. Right. I, I just... That's not I that see... much for someone who has the upside of Wentz. Look, when you have a guy who hasn't really had a good season in three years, blundered a potential playoff spot against the Jaguars, and really the last part of the season, when he was in a great situation with the best running game in football and a great defense, good coaching... That doesn't really strike me as, let's give up $28 million, you know, and some mid, you know, round picks where we can really use to, you know, help build up the young core of this team, whether that's offensive side of the ball, whether it's the defensive side of the ball, that's, you know, we talk about how much You could still do that in the first, second rounds. You can do it in the first two rounds. You, I believe they have some of their mid, their other mid and later round picks as well. It's not like you gave up a whole draft's worth of picks. I know I, that they're, I know third-round picks are valuable. I'm not saying they're not. NFL drafts are always deep, especially this one. But, I mean, they do have picks to still build this team and potentially even take a more of a long-term answer at the quarterback position that maybe you didn't want to have to play right away. I agree with you in this sense, in two senses. One, it gives you, you could take a sigh of relief and say it gives you some more options in the short term. However, I don't know about in the long term, and I'll agree with you in another sense that it's upside. Certainly a lot of upside. And I think that there's a solid chance that Carson Wentz, you know, can become your guy. And I think that, and by solid, I mean 15, maybe 20%. And we'll talk about with the Colts in a bit, but if you're Washington, you're obviously trying to upgrade the quarterback position. Russell Wilson turns you down. What quarterback out there... I don't think, I mean, Washington fans, I think, are realizing what they had in Kirk Cousins was more than they thought. And I think they would have liked maybe to do that situation over again. 
I mean, I guess, you know, are the Raiders going to trade Derek Carr? Like, I don't... I, what are the... How many other options were there out there? Okay. I think teams that aren't that that don't want to be in a rebuild or feel that they don't need to be in a rebuild like to get impatient. And I don't think that's smart, especially when we're talking about a draft class that's not, you know, very top-heavy, as you said. Next year's will be much better. And... I think you take this opportunity, you know, with that cap space that could have provided that you could have had this year to say, let's go and let's build up this offensive line. Let's go, you know, upgrade the secondary. Let's add, let's add more depth to this team. And now I'm not sure how much cap space the Washington football team had before. I knew it was, I knew it was you know, a fairly good amount, but twenty eight million this year. It definitely it takes up most of their cap space. They could always, there's always a way around it. So if they really did want to go out and sign someone, I don't think they're going to go in this huge spending splurge anyway. They weren't going to go out and you know. I don't think they were. pay the farm for a J C Jackson like we were talking potentially for the Chargers. They then why gonna, pay the farm for Carson Wentz? Because he's you're upgrading the most important position on the field. He gives you upside. You're just not completely hamstrung for years and years to come. And I think you look at we're Washington, I believe, what once they won seven games last year. I think they went seven and ten. Could you go nine and eight now and potentially sneak into the playoffs? I think you can. What did I think the Colts go last year? Okay, NFC I'd say the AFC is better than the NFC though. I mean you mean worse. So therefore no, the, the AFC, AFC is the AFC is better okay, than saying. the NFC, so Yeah, yeah. I think, like, you can... Okay. Who, who's playing around Carson Wentz? Terry McLaurin. Who else? They definitely, need, they definitely need to upgrade receiver. They have Curtis Samuel. Who's on that offensive line? We've... Charles Leno, I think, was, is better than people give him credit for. Sure, but... No, they need to... I'm not... They definitely need to upgrade the offensive line. I think they need to go... They need to go ahead and get a receiver, but you know what? You're replaying you can... the Eagles situation over again, and you're respecting different results. I understand that you had another year The Eagles grow, did... But... Make the playoffs under Carson Wentz. Okay, and then what happened? Then they obviously end up trading him. But okay, they also got a. You're not, you didn't give up a first round pick. I I know that. I I think you gave up a couple of mid round picks. I think that I'd rather roll with Taylor Heineke this year, build up the rest of my roster, and wait for next season, than roll with Carson Wentz. And even though I'm not mortgaging much in your eyes. I'm mortgaging enough where I'd rather do that. Or give me, you know, Jameis Winston on a one-year $12 million deal. I think he has more upside. I think he's shown more potential. And I think he's learned more. And I I definitely, it's interesting. I definitely think they may have checked in on that uh, with Winston. And obviously, technically can't. But, you know, legal tampering hasn't really started yet. But we all know teams. Right, yeah. I've been sure. tampering this whole time. Tampering gate, right? It's definitely interesting how they kind of compare these quarterbacks because uh, I think they all are similar, but I think they thought that one third, another third, that could become a second and second round pick swap. Like me, I don't think that's like that. I think that's a very fair package to give up. It's, I think it's, I, I don't, I'm not here to say that the commanders are idiots for doing that trade. I'm not here to say that they're, you know, mortgaging their whole future. I'm here to, I'm here to play devil's advocate and say, you know, 
it's not why I would have done. And here's why. And I think, I think the likely, in all likelihood, this trade sets you back. I will say, could it work out? Absolutely. And does it give you some opportunities in the short term? Absolutely. But you have to play your cards right. And I still think the likelihood is that it sets you back. And I think if you're the commanders and you feel confident taking that risk, good for you. How much you're saying it sets you back because you can't use what a third round pick this year, and a well, you a third and potentially a second for a team that's in a mid rebuild mode. In my opinion, well, they see themselves in more than a rebuild mode. Well, that's that's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. But they see themselves in more of just a rebuild mode. They think that if they can get to the playoffs with someone of Carson Wentz's caliber, which I don't think is too out of the realm of the possibility with how the NFC isn't the best conference right now, especially at the quarterback position. I do want to go to the Colts, though. I do want to turn to the Colts. I know you maybe got solid value for Wentz, but you were talking about rebuilding. If the Colts have a good quarterback, they're more than just a rebuilding team. Absolutely. I mean, they're even with a you know average quarterback, they're right there in that division. I know that's not the best division, but with how their their offensive line is built, their defense is built, they can compete uh, with an average quarterback. With Russell Wilson off the board, obviously the Texans aren't trading Deshaun Watson to you. Who out there is? can you say is definitively better than Carson Wentz? Because the Colts hope to compete this year. They don't want to take a year off. So this, for me, is what separates organizations like the Colts from organizations like the Commanders. It's patience combined with value. They trade a first-round pick for Carson Wentz. Yeah, that was dumb. But the... <laughs> well, yeah, that, that was not o- great. Overall, I, I'm a big fan of Chris Ballard, frankly. Yeah. Overall, I'm a huge fan of the Colts as well. That's a solid point. I can't argue much with that. Um, but I think the fact, knowing that Carson Wentz isn't our guy, this is not who we want to lead our team. I you know, how much let's would... not panic. Let's give, you know, let's unload his salary, get some decent compensation, have... You have the cap space, and let's play our cards. And you do one of two things. I think if you're the Colts, you say, all right, you know, let's sign one of these free agent quarterbacks on a, on a cheap short-term deal, and then we can, you know, move up in the second round. And, you know, we take a guy, maybe like Matt Corral, maybe a Sam Howell who's there, and we let them develop. I would, first off, I would love to see the Colts go after Derek Carr. Yeah, oh, yeah. Another point is Derek Carr. If, I don't. Like, I don't. To yeah. be honest, if I'm the Raiders, I actually might trade him. I think the Raiders are the worst team in that division. I think personally, I don't see the Raiders competing much in that division. I don't see them going very far. I would actually think the Raiders, especially with having to pay Carr now, you know, which is going to take more money away from building a team around him. I'd actually like to see the Raiders kind of go, kind of undergo their own rebuild. Mm. I just don't. With Carr probably not getting traded, same with Kirk Cousins, I don't see the Colts finding a guy. Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo, I think it's close with Wentz when healthy, and he's just, and he just had shoulder surgery. You don't know when he's going to be able to resume football activities, let alone even throw a football 20, 30 yards on the field in pads with 300-pound men trying to take you out. That's fair, but I think if he's healthy, 
you're talking about. I agree. Wentz is more upside, but for in this in this scheme that kind of wants to run first, you know that's okay with you know playing more of a horizontal game, similar to what the Niners have done. I think that can be a good you know even if it's not your long term option, it's a much better short term option in my opinion than Carson Wentz. And I I do think right now Garoppolo is a favorite to be the Colts' next quarterback. I, well, it it all depends what you have to give up. I don't think the Niners are going to ask for more than... I don't know. It, it honestly could be a fourth-round pick at this point. With the injuries, you're yeah, saying? With the, with I, the I injuries, think even with the, with the salary, it's paying them around $27 million, Yeah, but it's, it's also for one year. So it's also, right. you know, they're not completely, you know, brought down by his, his salary. I don't know. I just think... Garoppolo, I don't think he's definitively better than Wentz, especially with the uncertainty surrounding his injuries. I mean, look, if it, if it takes a fourth, then obviously you do that. I've And maybe it does with the injuries. I just, and maybe it's just in my head, but I always thought it would take more than that. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it's, it's possible. Here's a guy that I don't think we traded because of all the financial stuff. But what do you think the Falcons are, you know, thinking with Matt Ryan? Well, they just restructured his contract, so it took his cap hit down a little bit. It was like forty eight million, and which was crazy. The financials, I think, would make it very difficult. So it's interesting because you know it reminded me of this because we were talking about how the Bears kind of bit a huge bullet with Khalil Mack. I know it probably might even be a bigger bullet to bite for the Falcons. I, but- I don't. Like, I really don't know if the Falcons would be able. Like they would have to do so much cap gymnastics. I don't know if they'll be able to. That's fair. That's fair. I, I So I, I think, yeah, if you're the Colts, you're basically playing a draft game or you're playing you know, a trade for a mid-round guy. No, Best I, case scenario, I don't think they're going to want to start a rookie this year, especially no, no, no. with no first-round picks. No, 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 no. I'm saying if, 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 no, if Derek Carr, if Kirk Cousins doesn't become available, then I think you're kind of you know saying, all right, let's play the free agent game. Let's draft a guy in the mid-round, and we'll take it from there. Yeah, we'll see. Colts are going to be interesting. Right now, I put the favorite as Garoppolo as their next starting quarterback, but who knows? It'll be an interesting storyline. It'll be fun. So let's now go the final trade that we kind of saw this past week, although by the end of the episode, maybe there'll be another one, (laughs) the way things are going and for all we know. But Amari Cooper going to the Cleveland Browns, Another trade that we kind of disagree on, I know you liked it for Dallas, but something that I think we can agree on is that Ezekiel Elliott contract is really coming back to bite Dallas. Yeah, we can agree. Yeah, we can, we can agree. That's, <laughs> why, that's why you don't pay running backs. That is why you do not pay running backs. But I like this trade for Cleveland. Again, a fifth-round pick and a sixth-round pick swap. I know Amari Cooper... He has had some inconsistencies. He might be on the decline. But again, are you, with either the fifth slash sixth round pick, are you going to take a player that has the upside that Amari Cooper has? It's, I, I think if you're talking, you know, for the Browns, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, uh, you're willing to do it. But I think it's just a talk of salary. You know, the Browns have the space and they think, this is our best option to move forward 
you know, with our receiver room, this is the best option to move forward, you know, with our off-season plans. And I think, you know, that's and, more or less fair. And you look at it, if they outright cut Jarvis Landry, the salaries essentially replace each other. And is that, is that so? Well, because Amari Cooper, I know he, he was owed like $22 million. And I think six million may have been in dead cap space. So I don't know if yeah, Cowboys I don't know. Will pay six. So if the Cowboys really are paying six, and Cleveland's paying sixteen. Twenty two of the next two years, though. Twenty. I think it's the next three for Cooper. It's like twenty. I think it's really twenty over the next three. But I also looked into the contract after this year. There's six million total, uh, in dead cap. So they're not. This is like if they re if it goes south this year, and they thought, oh wow, this was a huge mistake and they just can't find a trade partner and want to cut him, they have the ability to do that without you know, taking on a huge dead, dead cap hit. So this contract doesn't, although it seems like it's a lot, it really doesn't bring him down It, you know, if they do decide that this didn't work out. So you're saying it was an out after this year? A- again, they'd have to pay like $6 million total. But so it'd be a $6 million dead cap. Dead cap. It's $4 million for one year and $2 million for the next, but I think they might just pay the 6 in one year. Huh. Okay, that is, changes. It's things. a very workable contract in terms of if you wanted to get out of it, you wouldn't have to pay this huge. It's not like, yes, he's owed $20 million and you have to pay it regardless. If this contract and situation really doesn't work out, there's an out. Okay, I was not aware of that. That changed my thinking a little bit. and um, I still think Dallas was going to cut him, so... You know, to to be able to kind of get something, right? No, is, is not bad. It's not bad. At the same time, if you're Cleveland now, you know you had to compete with all these teams who would have been wanting to sign Cooper. Now you kind of get him okay. to yourself. It it helps because yeah, he may not have gotten twenty million on the open market, but in the I would think fifteen million dollar range, there would have been a lot more teams in on Cooper, and it would have been and it may have driven up the price, and you know. Obviously, United are paying him a lot and giving up the picks, but it did help kind of condense the market. Yeah, and I think if you're the Browns, you really need a separator. You need kind of an alpha one receiver. And it's, you made an argument, yeah, Cooper's not that. He hasn't been that with Dallas. I think he still is. Maybe he's not a high-end one at this point. And maybe, you know, by saying that, you know, we don't know with his consistency. And they still could take, and what I love about this, and we talked about Mm -hmm. it before the episode, is, they still can take one in the first round they want, but now they don't feel the pressure like, oh my goodness, it's a make or break year from Baker Mayfield. We need to surround him with weapons. We have to take the best receiver available no matter what. They still can do that if they want, but they're not kind of pigeonholed into that. Mm. And do you think this trade means that Travis Landry will in fact be gone? He, he's either gone. I mean, he's owed $15 million, which is way too big of a cap hit. He's either completely gone, or they or they're gonna, or he's gonna take a massive pay cut, because he probably okay. knows he's not getting anything. It depends on what can I get on the open market. He's not getting anything close to fifteen million on the open market. I think that's right, and you know, remember they do have Donovan People Jones, who's you know a big body threat that's played well for them. You know when they suffered so many injuries, they franchised Njoku, so they have some definitely have some receiving options. I do think they add another receiver. But again, it gives them some flexibility that they don't feel the pressure and they have to, to do that. Exactly. So that's going to do it for this edition of NFL Game Time Podcast. A lot of major moves, 
A lot of big trades, and we expect it to continue. Free agency frenzy is here. It really all starts tomorrow with a legal tampering period open. We'll see you next time on NFL Game Time Podcast.